On this episode of the Wandering and Bull Gatherings podcast, we review Adventures End Game. <laughs> it's beautiful and depressing. <laughs> I need to blow my nose. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering. Go to the movies. Tonight, we tackle Avengers Endgame. But before we get started, for many years, we've been trying in our own bumbling way to illustrate that love is a far greater force, a far greater power than hate. Now, we don't mean you expected to go around like a pirouetting Pollyanna tossing posies to everyone who passes, but we do want to make a point. Let's consider three men, Buddha, Christ, and Moses. Men of peace whose thoughts and deeds have influenced countless millions throughout the ages, and whose presence still is felt in every corner of the earth. Buddha, Christ, and Moses, men of goodwill, men of tolerance, and especially men of love. Now consider the practitioners of hate who have sullied the pages of history, who still venerate their words. Where is homage still paid to their memory? What what, uh, banners still are raised to their cause? The power of love and the power of hate, which is most truly enduring? When you tend to despair, let the answer sustain you. Excelsior. Said by our man Stanley in 1969, and those words are still powerful today. And I think to Buddha, Christ, and Moses, post-endgame, we can add Mr. Tony Stark. We shall discuss. With me, as always, JPP. How's it going? Head Bundy. Good up, evening, guys? fellas. Folks, this is going to be a spoiler-laden episode. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop now. Come back once you've seen it. It's going to be intense dialogue about our reaction to this film. And I got word from T-Bags. I asked him to come to the movie with me, and he couldn't because he had to fly back over to MIT and do all the closed captioning for Hannah Montana's show. So, you know, he missed out. But at least uh, he'll try to catch it up with us here sometime in the near future. That will be a sweet reunion gig. I hope they get the entire band back together. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and he better come back in a hurry because he's got 21 movies to watch first. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm not even sure where to begin. I mean, I don't think we need a recap of the movie because at this point, everybody knows what we're getting into. We've had movies upon movies to get us here. We're just dealing with the meat and potatoes. So uh, let's do initial reactions. We'll go over to the metalhead. What'd you think? Well, I loved it. Um, I think uh, in talking to a few people, uh, the phrase I've heard a couple, I don't remember where I heard it first. It might've been you, Steve. I don't know. But uh, uh, it's, it was pretty much everything it needed to be. Like it was it, 10 years, 22 movies, 
uh, all this craziness led here and it, you know it really wrapped it up pretty nicely um and i'm interested to see where we go from here yeah i think if you're checking boxes and wrapping bows it did it all right yeah it, i mean it, it it ticked everything so that's uh, pretty awesome yeah. uh, i i was impressed it you know it's three hours long but i feel like it could have been longer and i would not have minded it at all but i they did exactly what they needed to do in that time for sure it, it didn't it didn't need to be longer but it easily could have yeah exactly it was everything it needed to be and you know, i felt like it did the same a lot of service in that if you had a particular character that you love they all had great moments in the movie in some fashion even if they weren't as involved as say you know some of the legacy characters they all had parts of their arc coming to a nice conclusion or at least building onto what could be a next phase for them so i'm really excited of, for the possibilities post endgame essentially and i think that you know what characters are still running rampant um, in terms of that weren't as involved before have a lot of uh, unlocked potential with how things unfolded in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're not just movie fans. I mean, you know, Metalhead and I are, we go to the comic shop every Wednesday, so we're regulars. I think what really stood out to me after this movie was over, um, if you think about the Avengers, the strength of, of that team, so the strength of the Avengers from the beginning is it, it's a concept and a team that can take on many different members and make them all special in some way. So the cool thing was that in some weird way, the Marvel team, you know, headed by Kevin Feige was able to do that in a cinematic way. Um, so if you think about this movie, two of your main characters were Nebula and Rocket Raccoon. Two people that the normal public had no idea even existed until a few years ago, and yet they were integral players in this movie. And I, and I assume going forward, we're going to get another Guardians or Asgardians of the Galaxy movie, um, and Nebula still exists, so I assume that she's going to be another you know, key player going forward. But a movie that is pivotal as this, and that is going to possibly be one of the highest grossing movies of all time has these two people or these two characters be so pivotal. I think it's just an amazing achievement in cinema, especially for uh, this particular genre that is, you know, kind of predicated on the big names, you know, and it's interesting too, because DC has been unable to really catch that with anybody other than Batman and Marvel's doing it with Nebula and Rocket Raccoon, which is just, to me, I mean, that's, that's an incredible feat. I yeah, do it's agree. really hard. It's hard to, like, pinpoint what the disparity is there, too. Like, I don't, I don't understand how Marvel has been able to build and build and build, and everything is so good. And, like, DC can't even, they can't get their feet underneath them. I mean, it's just, it's, it seems odd to me. 
especially because I'm more of a DC Comics fan. Like, I'm more of a fan of DC comic books than I am of Marvel. And I certainly have Marvel books that I've always loved, but it, it's that's been disheartening for me to see that. But but yeah, Nebula and Rocket is that's pretty crazy. That was one thing where I kind of felt like what I didn't like about the about Endgame was that I felt like it did not set up very much going forward. Like it kind of showed you who was left, but it didn't set up a ton other than, you know, like Thor with the Guardians and stuff like that. But um but yeah, I, it's it, it's pretty impressive that they were able to pull off what they did with Endgame in in many, many respects. Yeah, I kinda like that they didn't like tip their hand, like there was no after credit scene because it really felt like this is the final piece to what's come before. And now we really don't know what's coming next. We know something is coming and it's going to be cool. And they gave us the little goofy thing with Peter Quill and, and Thor, <laughs> which was brilliant. Um, but other than that, yeah, we just really don't know what's coming next. I kind of like that, um, that aspect of it. And two, you know, aside from the movie, I mean, you know, Star Wars has tons of fan fiction. Uh, and Marvel has now got a, a wealth of, abilities to create new storylines and new arcs with the alternate realities i mean take for instance so steve rogers has to go back to the moments in time where the stone was plucked and put it right back so it doesn't cause a rift right let's think about vormir he goes back to vormir he sees nat dead and he has to confront the red skull at the same time and we don't have to see a piece of that that could create a whole new story you know and mention the alternate realities and and you know what happens now after they've went back to new york went to the different locations i mean there's there's so many new little you know sub realities that can be created and new storylines much like civil war is a subset and and so on and so forth so that's that's exciting to me too i mean i'm not necessarily from the cinema standpoint but from Stephen, you know reading material i would be surprised if they did that that it if they if they were going to do that, especially the Steve Rogers returning the stones, um, it would definitely be a comic because I don't Chris Evans is done, like his contract's done and right. that he's done. So but uh yeah. Well, I could I, mean, I could I, see them uh, using that to bring Black Widow back for a TV show without Steve Rogers, but using that whole concept of the soul stone being replaced and her soul being released. I could see that being a way to get into her solo thing without Captain America. Good point. Yeah, I'd be interested if they did something like that, how they got there, because, you know, uh, Banner said, I tried, I, I, I really tried to bring her back, and I couldn't. So it would be interesting to see how they got there if they did that. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. You know, and when that scene happened, I think someone peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Great scene in the movie, by the way. That was so funny. And that's when you were talking about that Monday earlier, where you know DC can't get their feet under him. I, you know, we can't get into this whole conversation. You could go on for hours and hours and hours. But Marvel seems to capture just a little bit of the essence of the character, and then all the fun of the character. They're not afraid to have fun 
Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is um, the DC movies and the Marvel movies, they seem to be, they seem to be going how a lot of people have always said the, the comics have gone where people have always said that Marvel has like they're more real people mm -hmm. with real problems there's a lot of heart and soul mm -hmm. and the stories and this and that and some critics of dc have always said that their characters are too godlike they're too powerful they're too mm -hmm. stiff there and that's kind of what the movies are doing really for the most part i mean not totally but for the most part mm -hmm. wonder woman and shazam have been great they've made great strides in stepping away from that, but so far, well, Aquaman too, really, but um, that's, you know, hopefully that's a signal of things to come and they'll keep getting better at what they're doing. Yeah, no, I yeah. agree, Jeremy. Yeah, let's certainly hope. I mean, with, with Justice League, not to get in the weeds, I mean, I just, there was a lot thrown at me quickly and there wasn't a chance to really feel any kind of investment in the characters and you know especially the bad guy they're up against I'm like i've never met this guy he's all of a sudden here and -ha -ha, i'm gonna take over and destroy things and it was just kind of arbitrary where you know you get to know thanos and you get to know his agenda and you see you know the logic behind his intent versus you know he's just you know being a baddie and going to destroy stuff because that's just the way he is. You know, he's, he definitely has a mission and he believes in a cause much like the Avengers and humanity believes in causes as well. So that's relatable. You know what I mean? It just becomes a, a head to head debate versus just nefarious intent. And he looked amazing and <laughs> Josh Brolin did an amazing job of acting him. Whereas the, you know, the Steppenwolf of it all looked God awful so bad. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and yeah. i don't even remember who did his voice so <laughs> yeah yeah no no doubt so but you know for me there's just lots of um adventure when my wife and i went to go see the the show and uh we got tickets to be in the theater at friday at 9 a.m so that was our breakfast we had we had breakfast at the theater it was one of those dinner theaters and uh just had our food, enjoyed the entire ride. And, and it was amazing just all the emotions that I was able to feel in three hours. You know, it's like I was anxious. I was happy. I was bummed. I was really bummed. And, you know, there's things that I empathize with as a dad in, in key parts. Um, and, you know, not to mention just wondering, you know, how are they going to pull this whole thing off? And then by the end credits, I was just like, bravo. I mean, my God, that's, uh, um, you know, a lot of years and, you know, I'm sure that the Russos will, um, they, they haven't said anything already. I'm surprised, but, you know, I haven't dug that deep, but just kind of getting a complete behind the scenes of when they started Endgame before, you know, they actually started production. It's like, did they write this, you know, back in Captain America or even in Iron Man? Did they already see this complete vision by that time? You know what I mean? So um, I, I would love to know more on, on that whole mindset and logic to create this final product. Yeah, I think a lot of that credit goes to Kevin Feige too, because he's mm -hmm. really kept the whole train moving for 10 years. And what him, I think uh, him and John Favreau, they, I don't know how much they mapped out, but I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. they had some big ideas before they got into Iron Man and Feige has seen those through and more. 
Yeah, and I misspoke. Yeah, Feige, who I meant, sorry, because I know they've had different directors with, you know, like uh, Favreau and uh, Joss Whedon and such too. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's always been at least one key consistent component in that and and uh, just to create a massive undertaking and survive it <laughs> in their own right. Good Lord. You know, it's almost like this whole set of movies is, is a set of Infinity Stones that is hard to wield the power of. Yeah, I really think <clears throat> one of the, the the areas where Marvel has exceeded DC is in the characterization. So if we think about the one DC movie in the past 10, 15 years, everybody talks about Stark Knight and it's Heath Ledger, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, when, when, remember when they announced that Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker? The internet went wild. I was, what? Are you oh, kidding yeah. me? Heath Ledger, that's the stupidest thing ever. Well, and then he ended up being the best part of that. He got an Oscar, and essentially that was a Joker movie, not a Batman movie. Right. Similarly, when they announced that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be Iron Man, everybody was shocked because he didn't fit that role. But that's what Marvel did mm-hmm. so well as they cast these roles perfectly. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. in a movie that is, a to most fans, a punch-em-up dumb movie about superheroes – made audience ball their eyes out all over the place. I mean, when he looks at that and he says, I love you 3000. Are you kidding me as a parent with a child? That's mm. huge. I mean, that's yeah. like, Oh, there goes my throat. You know? Right. I mean, the theaters were so quiet and they were sniffling and everybody was crying. They build up over that time. You love that character. You knew him. That's what DC is not getting. They're not getting the performance or the characterization, the feeling, you know, and Chris Evans, even though he's stoic and he is Captain America, they lightheartedly throw these things in there where you love Captain America, even, oh, that's America's ass. Well, that's a funny thing, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, but that's perfect because he is straight laced, you know, uh, (laughs) where he talks about where my God doesn't, you know, dress like that, you know, but it's all those comments where he is red blooded American. You know, and he's those jokes work because of how he is. Mm-hmm. And Marvel built those characters that way. And I think DC has just missed that. And God, I hope they don't let that kid write the Flash movie in a dark way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, they've all the characters, they've really grown. Like, I mean, you mentioned that America's Ass comment, and that's, you know, a couple of movies ago, he was the one going language. <laughs> right. you know so they've all grown and changed so much throughout this 10 years and you know it it's been awesome to watch and it, it's sad to see the ones gone that are gone and it'll be interesting to see who who comes up next i mean you know i i know we've got some of the players but we've got more coming down the line too and i'm interested to see once Disney Plus launches all these, you know, they've announced all these uh, mini series and stuff. So that'll be awesome to see that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's a question for you both in this movie, who grew more the Hulk or Thor? <laughs> well, <laughs> hmm. Thor. <laughs> I mean, are we gonna he... are we gonna bust out the tape measure and start measuring waistlines. Or... Well, I'm I'm kind of contrasting like philosophically who grew, <laughs> you know, versus who physically, uh, you know, kind of ended up like me. But uh, anyway, 
I, I will say, I you know, every time one of these big movies comes out, Kevin Smith does like a, a super long review of it, and he I watched that. Just, yeah, he basically just goes through the whole movie, and I was shocked this one was not two or three hours long. He kept it pretty tight, right? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he. I will agree. He said they made like the biggest like ballsy move with you take someone who looks like chris hemsworth and you put him in a fat suit and leave him like that for the entire movie (laughs) like they know like he even he said he's like i expected when he got the hammer and all the lightning came down and he's just poop he's thin again but no they left him I mean, all they did was like braid his hair and beard. Like <laughs> yep. they didn't slim him down or anything. He's still just thick Thor. So. Chugga chugga. But that perfectly fit the message of who I'm supposed to be and who I am. If they yes. changed him, I think that undermined that whole thing, which I love what they did with him. And please yeah. tell me that you guys love the scene with Korg when Thor oh. gets on the uh, headset. Oh and, man, that was on again. He called me a dick. <laughs> 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 Taika Waititi, man, his voice with that character is so great. Oh man, what's the name of the other perfect. character that sits next to him? I can't remember. Oh, isn't but, it like Glebe or yeah, something? something? I don't know. Well, nonetheless, I mean, th- th- there was a shot where <laughs> Thor went and sulked in a chair, and he's just like sitting there, and that character is sitting there munching on pizza, and it's almost <laughs> like a uh, naked gun or the airplane <laughs> where you know something serious is happening, but yet there's all- something distracting you in the background that you just mm-hmm. want to bust up laughing over. It's like this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. great. Oh, man. Yeah, no, no kidding. And you know, I I texted Foggy on this, uh, you know, shortly after the movie. But my wife and I were talking about Doctor Strange's analysis of all of the combinations, and there was only one winning outcome. And so oh, I I asked he him, I was like, finger. Yeah. Oh yep. snap! Yeah, but you know, I told him I was like, "So, like, what does that mean? Was it the rat? Was the the random chance that he pushed the buttons just right to get, you know, uh, Scott Lang out of the the van, you know, out of the Quantum Realm?" But you know, I'm joking, of course. But it's that that was part to me was just kind of, you know, it seems awfully coincidental if there's all these combinations of losses that that happened multiple times. You know what I mean? So, well, that's finally. what he said. He said there's like 14 million some odd, and they yeah won to one. One yeah word. right yeah. so that was the rat what you're saying was my least favorite part the what he was saying that that was his the least rat favorite scene part. was my least favorite part of the movie oh the it was everything else was calculated in some way but the rat walking over the keyboard to release the ant-man was my least favorite part of the movie huh. i wanted him to come back in a grander way than a rat accidentally activating the key that shot him out of there i feel like it keeps in the tone of his movies and his character though really perhaps perhaps Perhaps, indeed so here's a quick question for you um you know easter eggs um there's some i've i've no i caught off you know right off the bat but some i saw after the fact um so for instance the scene where steve is talking with a support group of people and uh, you know, gentleman's talking about you know first date in five years yeah. and all that stuff. Did you catch the characters and scene and who they were? We talked about yes. this already. You and I yeah, yeah, yeah. I did so, too. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I did see again today, I confirmed that was Jim Starlin. That was the other character sitting there. Right on. So, so um, which is interesting, you know, especially with our conversation, you said that he'd had a fallout with Marvel. Is that right? Yeah. He's had some kind of, well, for anybody listening who doesn't know, Jim Starlin is the creator of Thanos. Um, and uh, yeah, he has had in recent years, he had been working on some stuff with Thanos and his focus at Marvel always seemed to be like kind of the cosmic characters mm-hmm. as Thanos, Silver Surfer, um, like uh, the Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet stuff. Like and he did Drax too, I think. I think he created Drax. I think mm-hmm. so. And, um, but yeah, I, in recent years, I believe he had some kind of falling out with Marvel and just walked and, it is not on the best terms with them. So that's cool that they put him in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know the other interesting part of that scene is with, you know, the director. Yeah. One of the Russo brothers. Yeah. Being there mm-hmm. talking about his relationship with the other guy. Yeah. People are so upset that that was the one gay instant in the movie. That was the one that gay character. That it was in there at all? Or? No, no, no. That that's all they had that there should have been more gay characters and that wasn't enough. I mean, you can't force it in. It's coming. We're going to build, but you can't force it into a movie and blame one person for taking what they gave you and making this brilliant thing. I don't know. It just, it really frustrates me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you need to change characters just to change them like for the sake of if if, if this character has always been white or always been black or always been straight or like i don't there i don't i understand that people want representation and that's fine and it is important and i'm totally okay with that but i don't think you need to change characters that have been around for i mean some of these characters have been around for 80 years and I, you don't change for the sake of change is I, I think is not it doesn't serve the story that's what i'm more concerned about right and at this point you can't do it after 20 movies right next yeah the next phase will address this and it will expand as it should but right now you can't change characters that currently exist and are involved in this story right and for people to get angry about that it's in my opinion, it's just silly. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up, there were, first of all, and I'm not going to say it yet, but, and, and I'm sure Paul will know, but um, one of my favorite moments in all of the movies so far happened in this movie. And the other part is I want to talk about is the emotional beats. I felt like this movie as a culmination of everything we've seen hit a lot of beats. And um, how do you guys feel about that as far as the emotional part goes? Did you feel it, it felt authentic? Was it forced? What do you guys think, uh, Metalhead? I don't think there was anything in there that was forced. I really don't. I, like I said, you, you've been building on this stuff for 10 years, and these characters have changed and grown, and, you know, the relationships have been built. And I didn't really feel like, anything was forced i can't recall anything i've only seen it once but i can't recall anything off the top of my head that felt like it was forced i really don't like everything 
felt like what it was supposed to be and it like it it just felt like the story unfolding it, it didn't feel like anything was really wedged in there what was your favorite emotional beat uh mine yeah um i have to say i think i rolled a tear of joy when uh cap got molnir i i really when he when that hammer flew back and cap caught it i was like holy shit that's amazing i was uh it was so good that was like that was my favorite oh. moment in all oh. movies put together <laughs> that's oh. what i told paul the other day Man. so i'm glad you you said that because that scene was incredible it was foreshadowed in the other movies where he kind of jiggled it yeah and then this one, he and Thor says, "I knew it." Yes, <laughs> that just I to me that. that was. I think brilliant. that I think that's happened in the comics. I don't remember off the top of my head. I know in the uh, in like the when they did a JLA Avengers crossover. I know Superman used Mjolnir, but I don't. I think Cap has before too. But I, I don't remember for yeah. sure. I may be wrong about that. Now, I saw some art that led me to believe that it was, you know, illustrated in some fashion. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, uh, for me, one of my favorite emotional beats was, you know, when oh, I'm popping and clicking. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, emotional moments was, you know, uh, Steve was beat down. Everybody was down for the count. Thanos was about ready to just kill him. The army's coming in. He's getting that radio signal in his ear on your left. And it was like, oh, holy yeah. shit, I, this is about to go down. And then you just see Dr. Strange open things up and it was like, yes. And that then, was uh, Lacey said, we were talking about it earlier. And Lacey said that she was balling when all of Dr. Strange's portals started opening up and she was balling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just beautiful. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, Cap with, with Mjolnir was, was certainly, it was the peak of that whole scene. But I mean, that, we didn't have much fighting going on throughout the movie until it got then. It was almost like, you know, you had a really big appetizer for most of the film. And then when you got to the meat of it, it was just satisfying. It was like a, you go to a, a high dollar bistro restaurant and you pay 300 bucks and it's a three hours spread on the table and you're conversing with friends and stuff like that. It's a completely satisfying experience. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we can go on and on about this movie and there's tons of Easter eggs. There's tons of um, theories and speculations of the future, but, you know, what it boils down to was a wild ride. I know I've kind of driven that home a lot through this thing. But, you know, I was, as a kid, I got excited about watching the first Star Wars on a projector screen in a bookmobile in the <laughs> early 80s. That was my first taste of the Stormtroopers. And I was like, what is this? I must know more. And, you know, that was that started the thrill for me and getting into entertainment and movies and characters and uh, you know it just opened up a world of imagination and then Han Solo was my hero and that kind of thing so you know you take a a daunting <laughs> undertaking such as this whole 10-year span of movies and you know Monday dealt with me a lot in the beginning when I was like I'd call him hey I went and saw Iron Man 
you know, what'd you think? Was that close to the comics? I mean, you know, and I finally quit, but he had to keep reminding me they're doing something new. It's not like the stories they're, you know, they're kind of opening it up to the 21st century and technologies and things like that. So yeah, they dabble on the original stories, but you know, they're unfolding something completely different and man, you know, the fact that it got to this peak moment with this three hour film that, I have been waiting for for an entire year when when in um uh gosh you know what I'm saying when <laughs> when the infinity, infinity war, war yes my tongue missed items just so bleh. but when that ended and those credits hit and it was silent I was like I must see the final completion of this now and so for a year I just kept you know while I'm doing my thing I wonder what they're going to do I wonder what's going to happen. And, you know, I explored fan theories just for the entertainment of it. And I went in it with not thinking they were right on it, but it was just fun to kind of hear everyone's thoughts and opinions. And I like almost got involved in a, you know, a community of, of fans that were just looking forward to the resolution of the story. And so it's, it was, you know, amazing. I've never been so deeply involved in a group of characters and, and, you know, a, a package of films i mean i love star wars love raiders of the lost ark ghostbusters things like that don't get me wrong but at the end of the day it's like that was cool i'm moving on but avengers it captivated me and it became front of mind a lot i mean it was just like i was borderline obsessing about it. it's like i can't wait to find out what happens so you know a guy who has read some comics metalhead monday turned me on to them but not to the degree you guys do you know nonetheless i mean for it to convert me into a fan in that regard, I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, I knew uh, when uh, Infinity War ended, <clears throat> I remember being in theater, and of course, you know, like, I knew kind of what was coming, but I didn't know, obviously, I didn't know how they were going to get there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I knew most of those people would be back and whatever, but <laughs> when that thing ended, I remember the lights coming up, and Lacey just looked at me, and she was like, are you kidding me? That's it. What? What? What happened? What's What's gonna happen? Like, what, I, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, it was. I you know, it's. I think everybody. Well, most people like casual fans. I'm sure that's where they ended up. You know, but and I, I think this answered all the questions it needed to answer and got us where we needed to go. Yeah. And, you know, not to jump back in, but kind of, but not really. It's like when you watched Lost. I don't know if either of you watched Lost at all, but, you know, my wife and I did. And there was always just questions. It's like you wanted those answered. And, you know, this is a completely different thing. But nonetheless, there were certainly questions being raised along the way that you wondered, am I going to see resolution to this? And damn, did we ever. (laughs) So too cool at least you know even with lost they still left you hanging on a few things where, where the hell is that polar bear what does that have to do with anything so yeah. well i would say as far as that goes this pales in comparison a little bit to uh empire strikes back <laughs> talk about an ending without an ending that's just, uh, and yeah, that's what the crap ending. luke and vader yeah. and that's without the internet I mean, those people were writing magazines and <laughs> frantically trying to get out to, to the people who felt the same way they did. But um, I get exactly where you guys are, you know, you're talking about. For me, this emotional 
beats that that they kept hitting on over and over um there were about a lot of connections in this movie and i felt like they tied a lot of those up um like we never really got at least to this point black widow and hawkeye we've heard about budapest well we kind of briefly heard about it again but but they went out together you know their scene was tied together and one got sacrificed that was huge that was a a very emotional connection and that paid off in this movie. Tony and Peter, the last scene where he's dying and, and Peter goes to him, that's not the emotional one to me. The emotional one is when Peter comes back and Tony sees him and just can't wait to hug him. And he's like, and then Peter says, well, this is nice, you know, but we know already Tony's thinking about it because that's one of the reasons why he decided that he was going to try this because he yeah. wanted, you know, he said I lost the kid. I mean, he's so, he feels so responsible for Peter. That, that was very emotional for me. Um, Cap and Peggy, come on. I mean, he goes yeah. back in time and lives his life throughout so he can live a life with her not being Captain America there's a connection there that's just, you know, it's beautiful. Um, Nebula and Gamora as sisters realizing it, you know, that is solidified here. That's a great connection. And then the best one, which I let, this is what Marvel does so well. Peter and Gamora, Peter Quill, not Parker. When they meet, it's not so great. She, you know, kicks him in the jibs, you know, because this is the, you know, it's between him and a tree, you know, but that connection comes back together and we know now, Oh, here we go. And the next as guardians of the galaxy, we're going to explore this relationship all over again. But it's those connections that, um, and those emotional beats, I think that really tied this whole thing together for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention just overall the sheer, um, uh, possibilities with the future with, with guardians and, um, Thor even you know if he's coming back I mean there's I just I can't wait you know and there was there was a piece of of concept that you you drew on it and I'm drawing a blank now because every time you put on a new point I was like yes yes and then my thought faded away so thanks for that (laughs) but (laughs) but but that's just the point I mean it's every moment in this movie that they had with such intent was very um very much an exciting factor in some way be it extremely entertaining extremely dramatic extremely you know sad or you know whatever it nonetheless everything just pulled you in and i was amazed now i will say you were talking about things that were forced i will say one thing i remember being forced in this whole arc of movies was thor's dyed eyebrows in the first movie (laughs) Hmm. i haven't gotten over it yet (laughs) remember it so well just i went back and watched uh you know pieces of of the first movie and i was like i really like the way he evolved in ragnarok you know he's a lot more relatable than you know in that first film so and and that's that's the point i was going to get on that reminds me the characters of past who how are they going to tie them into the film you know you've got uh, natalie portman and you know her moment in the movie and um crossbones and just the way that they all had a moment in the film was very tastefully done to me. It wasn't, that was not forced by any means. You know, you kind of made you wonder, it's like, are, are these guys just baddies that are another obstacle and stuff like that? But no, it was just all really tastefully put together in the storyline. And even when, you know, Tony went 
back in the seventies with Steve and he got to see his father for a moment. And that, that whole emotional connection and talking about parenthood and stuff that kind of brought things full circle to him and changed his perspective, I think a little bit more and, you know, towards his dad and he empathized with his dad on being a father, you know, in that journey. So that's cool too. And that whole story of, of Tony Stark going from a, you know, playboy, you know, in the first movie to really evolving through the years. So, you know, wow. <laughs> Again, more connections. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the other things I thought was really cool, and the, the first time I saw it, I've seen it twice now, and this is, it really threw me for a loop, and that's what I love about this, is I went in, I, spoiler free, and I was expecting one thing. 20 minutes into the movie, they go and find Thanos and lop his head off. Yeah. And I was like, what? Well, where we go? What are we doing now? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And and from there we went to heroes with nothing to do and what happens to them. And I thought that was so brilliant to show black widow. She's lost. Captain America is trying to run a self-help group. He's lost. I mean, these people have nothing. And of course, Tony's the one guy who goes out, finds love. Well, he doesn't find it cause he always had it, but then he has a daughter and, you know, extends his life there um, in a happy way, which is juxtaposed to the rest of them. Um, but it was just interesting because I did not expect that. I thought this was going to be a build up, build up, build up. Now yeah. we fight Thanos. Yeah. And it was not that way. Very comic booky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, how about at the beginning when, when Tony got back to Earth, just how frail he looked and, you know, just defeated. I mean, they did the details. Fantastic job of just really not only you know, giving you, obviously, yes, they, they got their asses kicked the last round, but just really driving home to what extreme. And you just saw the, the sulk answers. And then, you know, Tony shows up and he's, <laughs> he almost looks like, you know, Steve did in the first Captain America, just real frail, weak and, and uh, vulnerable, which, you know, that's, that's another piece of the Marvel puzzle that I think DC doesn't really play on very much. You know, everybody's, you know, mythological in some aspects, but you just really get the core of the, when you're down, you're down and you know, you got to work your way to get back up. And that's a message that I think is important for all. You got to really fight hard to make sure you can stand back up. All in all, I, this movie is going to mean a lot to me for a long time. Uh, once it comes out, on physical format. I know I will buy it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure it'll be on streaming services too, but it'll be nice to have a physical copy so I can make sure I can play it and I don't have issues with internet and things like that. And um, I know friends that love the Lord of the Rings trilogy and that's a long haul to sit and watch that. But I find that this will not be the problem for me in that I can sit through this and it didn't feel like three hours when I was there, bottom line. And, uh, you know, it was again, emotional ride. It was fun to see where things played out and how some of the characters evolved. But, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, it, it brought back that imagination of, of an inner child of mine that I love. And I'm, I'm happy that it really kind of sparked that in me and it inspires me in my own way to be creative and in my own medium. So, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, even though it's not something I specialize in, it still supercharges me and, and that's what it's about. So, um, I look forward to more things like that in the future from these guys and from the Marvel team. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely, Paul. And, uh, I don't have much to add to it. 
I've seen it twice. I absolutely 100% love it. Recommend it. Um, I love a huge, big spectacle. I go to the movies for these big movies because it looks great on the big screen. But my takeaway from this whole experience of all the Marvel movies connected, finishing this endgame is the emotional impact for me, how I felt at the end, welling up. <laughs> I was ready to cry. You know, I was, I had the lump in my throat. If a movie does that, then it's done everything. So mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it's accomplished what it needed to accomplish. I feel, uh, I feel like I've been on a ride and I love it. Same here. Same here. Yeah, I, I have to say, going into the movie, um, I just, you know, this is the culmination nervous going into this movie, and I can't say that I can remember that ever happening before. <laughs> just I was nervous before the movie started, not because I thought it would be bad. I, I had no fear of that, and it wasn't. It was amazing, but I, I don't know. I just you know you're so invested in these characters and it's just like oh my god what's what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and man it was just it was an amazing ride and i like you guys said three hours went by in the in a snap of the fingers (laughs) yeah and uh it uh it could have been longer and i would have been happy and but uh, it 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 was fantastic absolutely fantastic excellent Jeremy, do you have some questions for us? I do. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like my first question I feel like is big enough. I, I, I think they did it on purpose. The more I think about it, the more like it had to be intentional. But, you know, okay, so at the end when Steve is going back, when Cap is going back to replace the stones in the timeline, he takes Mjolnir with him. What happened to it? Did, did he put it back too? <clears throat> or, I mean, like they don't address that at all. They don't say he's taking it back to put it back too. Like, I, I, I was just curious what happened to that. Yeah, that's valid. I, it, it must have because, you know, obviously the other Thor would be like, where the hell's my hammer? <laughs> Well, he doesn't want the hammer because it's tiny. He likes Stormbreaker. <laughs> My guess is, is somehow it's going to end up in Valkyrie's hands as she becomes female Thor in the next mm. generation of movies. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. I really do think she's going to become the new female Thor, but I don't know about Mjolnir. So, anyway, yeah. what's question two? Um, at the end of Guardians two. Uh, we kind of got teased with an Adam Warlock yes. thing. Mm-hmm. What happened to that? I, I I mean, I can only assume they might address that in the next Guardians movie. But, like, this would have been, there would have been some good opportunities in here to weave that in, maybe, because, like I said, like, that Jim Starlin's whole thing is, like, all the cosmic characters, and that Warlock was certainly one of those. So I'm kind of interested to see what happens with that. I really think that that's going to come up in the next generation of movies. Um, I don't know if they'll call it the Asgardians of the Galaxy, as Thor says. But I think 
if they're going to do a Silver Surfer movie, the next group of movies should be centered around Galactus. And I don't mean that goofy cloud that they made for the Fantastic (laughs) Four movie, but legitimately Galactus. Bring him back, make him the bad for the next set of movies like they did Thanos. And then Adam Warlock fits perfectly in that whole scenario, as do the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Fantastic Four when you bring them in. I mean, I think it just sets this whole next phase up in a, in a perfect spot. And that was one of the things I was going to bring up earlier was I think Galactus is going to be the next big bad. And I really hope that it is. So Galactus, yeah, that would be amazing. And I think with the technology they have now, they could pull off a, this, you know, crazy giant dude with a big purple helmet and it would look amazing. Um, the rumors that I have been hearing are secret invasion because they've now introduced the scrolls <laughs> in Captain Marvel. So, and, and Captain Marvel kind of spun it where in the comics, the scrolls are always kind of the bad guys and Captain Marvel kind of spun that a little bit, but they could easily go into secret invasion and, you know, there's a lot to play with there and, who's a scroll, who's not, how long have the scrolls been here, all of that. And I've heard a few rumors about maybe that might be something they get into, but uh, who knows. I completely disagree with that. Not that your rumors, the rumors are (laughs) totally true. But what you said about what happened in Captain Marvel, in my mind, they took the scrolls who are what you said, they should be the invaders. They should be those people who are, you know, being subversive and getting into our society. And they completely changed. They kind of tilted it on their head. But based on what we saw in that movie, I don't see that happening. It would almost be like, oh, here are the scrolls. And then, oh, but they're completely different. I, I don't know. Well, I know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I don't know how they would get to that flip. Right. But... Right. I don't know. That's just, you know, rumor. Rumors are rumors. Uh, who, who knows? I'm calling Kevin Feige and I'm saying Galactus or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll miss your $7. <laughs> it's only like six. So, <laughs> Teacher discount. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Galactus just makes more sense to me, especially if they're going to bring in the Silver Surfer. And the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and how could they that. not? I mean, it's Marvel's first family, and everybody loves the Silver Surfer. Not the version that we got in that movie, but just in general. If you do those characters the right way, you have gold. I mean, the Fantastic Four are a family. A Break them up, make them dysfunctional, whatever you want to do with them to make them palatable for our you know, modern-day audience. But this is... It's gold for them. And I think they're going to do it the right way because we've seen over 21 movies, 22, whatever it is, that they can take C-level characters and make them great. I think once they have the Fantastic Four, they've got the Silver Surfer, they're going to do it the right way. And I think they can make Galactus be the overarching villain for a lot of movies. And that's what I hope they do. And make Doctor Doom cool again, too. Oh yeah. yeah, and he could be the overarching villain as well. Um, if they they choose not to go with Galactus because it's difficult to have a huge guy who eats planets, if they want to do Doctor Doom, 
they could do that, but in the same vein, because you're still working with Fantastic Four and all of your other characters because Dr. Doom is just that smart and nasty. Agreed. Yeah, I don't... They also, sooner or later, they're going to have to start working the, all the mutants in now. Yeah, a couple of years, yeah, like, for sure. Is yeah. it 2021? I don't remember. Yeah, I have to look for the schedule, for sure. <laughs> you have another question, or was that it? No, my final one... Um, uh, they're you know Disney Plus. They're going to be doing all these series and everything, and um, I'm not sure. I do not know the details of the Hulk deal with Universal. I know like that's one of the big reasons they have not done a Hulk standalone movie is because of <laughs> Universal has rights to that character if they do a standalone movie kind of like Sony with Spider-Man and all that stuff. Um, and so far universal has not decided to play nice like Sony has. Um, but one series I would love to see, and it, I think it would work better as a series because there's several different directions you could go is a She-Hulk series. Ooh. Mm. I would love to see Jennifer Walters. You know, she's, awesome she's a lawyer so there's like you could go the procedural route with she hulk thrown in and you know all that craziness um there's like the the john byrne version from the 90s was like kind of super funny and weird and went all over the place and there's a lot of different ways you could go with the she hulk character and i think that would be an awesome series but, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't know what the deal with Universal is when that expires and all that. So let me ask you a question, Jeremy. Yes. As a fellow comic book reader, how difficult do you think it would be to get people who don't read comics and don't appreciate all those kookiness kind of things in the, that we can do in the comic books? How difficult do you think it's going to be to get modern day viewers to accept Jennifer Walters as She-Hulk lawyer? Um, I really don't. I don't think it would be hard as at all because I don't. I mean, you have uh, like the example that comes to my mind is Guardians. Like nobody knew who the hell they were. Right. No one. No one knew who any of those characters were, as far as like general movie going public non-comic book readers nobody knows any of those characters and those movies are huge and that's like the i mean one of the you know the will gamora thing that's one of the biggest uh beats in infinity war you know that's i don't think there would be any problem with that and also the success of all of the netflix series mm -hmm. like you know those are not necessarily all of them are not really like a-list characters so and i you know jessica jones is amazing that that series was amazing and i if you cast it right and you know it's written well executed well it looks good like i don't think there would be any problem with that and it's tied to the hulk so 
now. JPP, what do you think? Um, no, I, I think it would be, well, what was the question exactly? Because I know you went into the She-Hulk, but... <laughs> no, I was asking, I, like, the everyday viewer who doesn't read comics. Oh, yes, Take yes. Jennifer Walters as She-Hulk lawyer. Yes, well, take me, for instance, a guy who doesn't, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed reading comics in high school and things like that, but I, you know, I, my passions in music and stuff like that, but um, I'm actually would love to get a hold of some collections, um, you know, where they've culminated the stories into a book and I can kind of dig in and see what, what the original stories look like. So that's, that's for another day, but that's on my list to do. But I mean, look, I watched Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, and got a kick out of that. So <laughs> I can see She-Hulk, attorney at law as well, right? No, but seriously, I, I think y- we've seen, like you said, characters that you know were, were definitely not A-listers in the past become prominent players. And I think that even if they don't make She-Hulk a prominent player, they can still make amazing stories and make a, a, fan, a fascinating arc for these type of characters um you know and i'm really excited to see what may happen with uh these characters that are now getting brought back into the marvel cinematic universe proper after licensing and you know buyouts and stuff so um you know it'll be interesting to see you know who takes the the reins and who um basically uh who plays what role amongst everybody in that universe and i mean not to harp on Endgame again or, you know, kind of get back into it, but the sheer amount of actors and cast in that movie, just a powerhouse of staff, what's the future going to look like there with everybody, you know, when they start getting more and more characters? Holy crap. Um, One thing you said, or it just made me think, um, I, I think She-Hulk would, that is one character that would definitely be served better as a series. You could do like six or 10, see if it works, whatever. And it's also, there have been so many different versions of that character with starting out as the savage She-Hulk and mm-hmm. the ultra smart lawyer and the craziness in the John Byrne 90 series. Like you could go any different way and whatever. But I think a, maybe a, a decent litmus test for what you're talking about with the for what we're all talking about with the lesser known characters is the what if series that marvel is doing mm-hmm. which i don't know much about i i know very very little about that but um you know and that's an animated series so you can really do whatever you want and but they could go with you know total d-list characters and just do it's a what probably a half hour episode and if people like it then they can do more with that character and that same thing with any of the series they're doing you know if they did like a six or ten episode run and if people like it do more and you know i think they they have enough room and enough definitely enough money to play wherever they want to play for sure yeah. Okay. Well, I don't doubt you. You make great points. Um, I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but I hope it does because I've read some great stories with her. Um, I, it doesn't matter what the character is. You have a good writer, you have a great artist, you have great story, great vision. Anything is possible. We have so, two Ant Man movies. 
I know. <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay, so I'm gonna tu- I'm gonna turn the tables here before we end this episode right here at the end. I'm gonna challenge. We we normally do the challenge on the music version of this, but we're gonna meet next month. I issue a challenge to you guys. We've talked a lot about character and vision and story and emotion. And we've talked about how Marvel has it, DC doesn't. So for the next episode, what does DC need to do to create a DC universe that rivals Marvel's? So we need to, you need to decide too. Are you going to start with individual shows and build to teams? You're going to, what teams are you going to, you know, show on this? Who are you going to work with? What characters are the audiences going to be engaged by? You're going to build your own plan. You're Kevin Feige for the DC universe. That's going to be the next episode one month from now. You guys good with that? I'm going to have tea bags write my answers just for the entertainment well, factor. That's hard. That's a rough one. It is hard, but that's <laughs> a good be challenge. Fighting each other. <laughs> but seriously, that has been a problem that we've been trying to deal with or talk about for a long time now. Why is DC struggling with any character that is not Batman? I mean, you could argue there's been struggling with that as well. (laughs) Well, That's an argument as well. So next month, we will be back on Wanderings and Wool Gathering, the DC episode. See you next time, folks. Bye now.